Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode, number 363, I get to welcome on the show David and Amanda Erickson from Flourishing Homes and Families. When you look back at punishment, and the cycle of punishment in the Old Testament, like it is glaringly obvious that it doesn't work. If punishments worked, if the reward, like if you do this, I will bless you. If you don't, this is gonna be the consequence. If that worked, there would be no need for Jesus. Like we would not have the cross. And so yes, we can modify behavior with punishments, with harsh discipline, with gentle discipline, but it is literally only grace that transforms hearts. When you have kids and they misbehave for the first time, you start to realize how few tools you have in your toolbox. Uh, You either have how you were parented or whatever book you may have skimmed or maybe an Instagram post you read. And for me, the toolbox was really pretty empty compared to now you have so many things coming at you and helping and trying to guide you. And I wanted to connect you with a great option. If you are interested in gentle parenting, but you also want to have it intersect with your faith and with the gospel, meet David and Amanda. They are creating a fantastic resource for parents through their Instagram posts on what to say, on how to respond, how to guide you in these moment-to-moment interactions with your kids. They have a website as well, Flourishing Homes and Families. And I just, I'm excited to share them with you today. We're going to talk through things like spanking. Yep, that's right. We're going to talk about that. Uh, We're going to talk about their story and just why. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that we parent our kids in a gentle way? And maybe... You don't want to be convinced in that today. Maybe you need some reinforcement, um, but my hope is to support you in your parenting journey and to connect you with great people to do that. So let's get right to it. Here we go. David and Amanda, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Hi, thank you for having us. Oh man, y'all are doing good work. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for offering something that wasn't available when I had young children and I wish it had been. Yeah. You know, that's part of why, how we even started was that we were doing a lot of nitty gritty, like trying to fill up our own parenting toolbox. And we realized, wow, like there's such a need for parents to know different approaches to parenting and different parenting tools to use. And when we found them, we just started sharing them because we knew other people needed to find them as well. And that kind of just snowballed into what we have now. (laughs) And tell me a little bit about your parenting journey. I know it's a little unique. I don't know, David or Amanda, who you want to share that. Go ahead. Well, um, our journey to becoming parents was a lot longer than we ever expected it would be. We started trying to have kids after we've been married for a few years and oh we've been married what eight nine years when we finally had kids so there was a long journey through infertility there and uh, journeying through foster care and fertility treatments and all of that kind of stuff and that that journey finally just kind of came to an end when we just pretty much collapsed because we were (laughs) done uh we were done trying 
all the things and we just kind of gave up and quit. And then we had two kids, bang, bang. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Which when you're in, in the journey of infertility, you hate hearing those stories, like yeah. those stories, like great on your heart. And yep. they can, you know, in me, they, those stories really produced a bit of bitterness because it made it sound so easy. Like all I have to do is just give up. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I just want to say, if there's like a parent listening, who's journeying through infertility or secondary infertility, I know that that story is hard, hard to hear. We knew it at the time that there was a purpose in our waiting and in our pain and in the, and then the struggle. And we leaned into that. We trusted that there was a purpose for it. We did not know what it was. Um, but now eight, 10 years beyond that infertility struggle, we're seeing that God did have a purpose for us, that the, he was cultivating our hearts deeply deeply in the waiting. So cool. And in that season, the world of parenting kind of shifted too. And yes, you know, the, you said there weren't a lot of resources and you kind of were trying to fill your toolbox. I'll tell you what, 16 years ago, <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> the options available to me, very slim. I had to either follow how I was parented, which kudos to my parents. They did the best they could. They actually had uh, two kids 16 years older than me. So they, they parented me even less legalistically than them, but there was still spanking, yelling. Um, it it wasn't necessarily gentle parenting, but it was more hands off because they were older parents. Yeah. But I, I either had that option or, um, I think grace-based discipline was just starting to come to the surface, but I didn't quite know what that looked like in my everyday. I knew that when there were times that I used anger. I was harsh. I felt horrible. I felt disgusting. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that moms and dads listening, there are some, and you probably get feedback from them who believe that is the way to gain, garner control. And that's how they were parented and it worked out for them. So they're going to yeah. do the same thing. Right. For me, that's, that's where we were. Like that's yeah. when we started, that's okay. where we were exactly right there. Yeah. yeah. Is that that's what you thought was the right way, right? Yes. Well, and being foster parents actually helped oh. uh, push us away from that because yeah. you try to parent foster children that way. It fundamentally does not work more than just corporal punishment, which is pretty much outlawed for foster children everywhere, as far mm-hmm. as we know. But just a punitive approach to parenting in general doesn't work with foster children because you haven't, you don't already have an established relationship of trust. Hmm. And you have to build that relationship. And every time you're punishing them, you're breaking that relationship. And so it, it requires a whole, whole different reframing of your parenting framework. Mm-hmm. And so by the time we kind of went through that cycle of, with, the, with the children that were living with us, we're like, wow, everything we learned about parenting, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So we had better start figuring out what to do. You know, you get nine months advance notice um, <laughs> when you're having a biological child. Um, so we we were headed in on like, what are we going to do? I think like we went into, you know, having a baby and we did want to do things differently. And then we had back to back babies. And then we also had a pretty significant family trauma while I was pregnant with our second. And our oldest was like eight, uh, 15 months old. And he was like super squirming on the diaper changing table. I was very pregnant. David was not at home, you know, with this family emergency. And 
I spanked Ezra. Like I smacked his bottom because I needed him to be still so I could change his diaper. And in the moment I was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that because I saw the look on his face and I was like, oh, I think that might've been too far. But what really changed my heart and made me realize like, okay, when we said we want to do this different, we have to do this different was hours later, he was playing on the floor. He started to get a little fussy. I can, I came down towards him. And when I got down close to him, he recoiled from me mm-hmm. and it was hours later from when I had spanked his bottom, but I knew I had broken his trust in me. Like he had, he had never done that before. We had been very connected, very attuned, um, very attached. And he recoiled from me. And all I was doing was like coming down to check on him, you know, for being a little fussy on the floor. And I texted David and I was like, I don't know what we need to do, but we need to find out how to discipline toddlers without spanking, because I cannot, this cannot be like our go-to parenting tool. And so that night, like I Googled toddler discipline without spanking, (laughs) you know, like literally just Google. And one of the first resources that came up was Janet Lansbury, um, who's a secular voice in the world of parenting, but extremely practical. And so I, um, like I was reading her blog posts and started listening to her podcast. And the first book I read was Dr. Laura Markham's Peaceful Parents, Happy Kids. And I read that Uh, at the exact same time that I was reading Shepherding a Child's Heart, which had been given to us. And just those two, like reading them at the same time, I was just like, one of these is saying something and putting it into practice. And the other one is saying something and then undermining, you know, what they're saying. Like a lot of some of the things that they say are actually kind of similar, but then when you put it into practice, it's just like, these are not the same thing. Like these are not cut from the same cloth. And so that was really when it was like, we have to fill our toolbox, our parenting toolbox, because it's one thing to say, I'm not going to spank my children anymore. It's a whole other ballgame to know what to do, you know, when your child slaps your face because they're not, you know, your toddler slaps your face or when a big brother bites a little brother because he knocked over a Lego set. Like it's a whole different ballgame to know what to do than to know what you're not going to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, I mean, the other part of that journey was was studying the Bible. Yeah, and um, you know, because we had been taught that well, you have to spank your kids; it's in the Bible, right? And so that was a, a whole probably months and months of of studying and reevaluating and digging in and being like, okay, what what do these verses really say? What did this really mean back? 3,000 years ago, right? When Solomon wrote this, what did he actually mean? Not just what do we assume it means? Because, I mean, we're people, we we take the Bible very seriously. And you're, and, you're a, you have your doctorate in theology. Right. I I, I, I have a PhD in theology. PhD. I teach theology yeah. at a seminary. Yeah. Um, this isn't yeah. like a subtle, like, hey, we pick it up, you know. No. Every no. now and again. No, this was like, he spent months reading like dissertations on one word in Hebrew. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for doing that work. And what did you discover as you're digging in? Well, I mean, the, the biggest thing we discovered that really shifted it for us was to find out that the word then in, in these verses in Proverbs that most people point to the, the rod verses that talk about the rod, rod. spoil a child. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm that the word child there is not really like young child. And, and that was what really start, uh, sorry, wait a minute, what are we even talking about here? Because 
this word is normally used for young man. Like this, this is a youth, this is a teenager. And so you look at like a number of Christian parenting books and they're like, yeah, you spank and you need to be done spanking by like seven or eight or something like that. And then you look at what Proverbs actually talk about. Yeah. So you like start spanking at 12 and it's like, wait a minute, we're not even talking about the same thing. Like you're assuming the Bible supports what you're saying, but the, that's not what Solomon said at all. And he wasn't even saying spank. No, 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 he wasn't. He's saying beat with a guide them stick. Uh, We're taking it if it's an, um, so yeah, I think we should back up. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Because there are, (laughs) there are general parenting advocates who, and with absolutely with legit, a legitimate argument to view the Proverbs as only metaphorical that no, like you don't literally go sleep on a housetop when you're having a fight with your wife. You don't literally hit your child with a stick. Okay. Like these are metaphors. We understand them as metaphors. And, and there's a, there is a truth about leading and guiding and disciplining children in these verses, but it's not talking about literally hitting um, a child or a teenager. There is also the understanding that a lot of times in literature, metaphors are and allegories are used about something that is literal. And there was a little a literal rod that was used as a judicial punishment in the context of a, you know, if a, there was sin in the tribe that needed to be like snuffed out, it was a beating, you know, like like what we think of as a as a judicial like a flogging, yeah, like a, like flogging. a mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, old school justice, yeah, old school justice, very much so. Yeah. And uh, in in the in the Torah and the law, there are limitations on how many times you can hit a person. There are limitations on how severely wounded they can be. I mean, it is a violent and, weapon. And we have to people read the Bible like it's so violent. Well, yeah, okay, violent compared to our modern American experience, possibly. Unless you're watching Marvel movies, then suddenly violence is okay. <laughs> but right, but like in our everyday, like, but in a culture. Right. To put boundaries on violence, to put yes. rules on when you go to war and you plunder, like that was yes. different. It and was the, radically different. The Bible is unique and it's not like in setting boundaries on that violence. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Y'all, I am still absolutely loving my Caraway products. They sent me a saute pan and a small pot. Not only do I love the colors, I love the colors. Y'all need to go check out all their different colors. I love that I know these products are non-toxic. They don't have any of the materials that are normally in a non-stick pan. Really hard to pronounce things. PFAs and PTFEs and PFOAs, any of those chemicals. None of those are in these products. And they're still nonstick. They have this naturally slick surface. That means I don't have to use a lot of oil or butter to get eggs to slide out or to clean them super easily. They're eco-friendly. They release up to 60% less CO2 into the environment compared to traditional nonstick coatings. They have so many different products. You should definitely go check them out. Go to carawayhome.com forward slash DMA to take advantage of a limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So visit Caraway Home, C-A-R-A-W-A-Y home.com 
forward slash DMA. Use the code DMA at checkout. Caraway is non-toxic cookware made modern. Yeah, I learned a lot about that from William Webb. He has a book called Corporal Punishment in the Bible that uh, really kind of just walks through all of that mm -hmm. um, at a, a really good level. Yeah, so when Proverbs says... Um, saving your son from shame. Yeah, sa saving the son from death, right? Mm -hmm. Use the rod to save your son from death. And it's kind of like, well, you know, within the context of uh, a law that says that a, you know, a rebellious son is stoned to death, that As actually a, means something, you know, which is, <laughs> yes, that's, uh, that's in our ears, that's extremely, extremely severe. And, but what Solomon is saying is like, Hey, if the difference is I'm just going to let my, my son continue down this path that leads to death, or I'm going to intervene with this really harsh weapon and, and administer a judicial beating to my son. Well, that's better than death. And I mean, that's literally what that proverb means. Now, that's going straight for the like the absolute literal meaning. Now, the thing about proverbs is these are proverbs. They're there for wisdom. They're not laws. They're not commandments. Okay. Um, so there's absolutely no command in scripture that says you must beat your teenager. Okay. It sounds like uh, <laughs> it sounds like your child starts driving. Right. Let them get the speeding <laughs> ticket because yeah. better for them to get the speeding ticket for them to die in a high speed accident. Yes. Like yes. let yeah. the laws correct your child before something worse happens or. Yeah. And I think the other thing, cause like, I know for me, like with the mama's heart kind of reading this, it's like, it still sounds too violent. It still <laughs> sounds like too much. Right. <laughs> um, but in our studying, there is no evidence in the Bible that this was ever used. Like there's not an account of the beating before stoning ever being used. And in all of the um, extra biblical Jewish writings that we've looked through, there's no account that it was ever used. So it's kind of like, it could have been used and not documented, but it sure wasn't common. It was not the main thing at but all. The, but the core thing we need to let people hear is this is not about children. Yes. Yeah. And so the, all, of, all the, of those verses are yeah. really, and, and the whole book, if you read through the whole book of Proverbs, like, okay, who is this book talking about? Well, it's it's talking about what we would call today teenagers mm -hmm. who need wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. Teenagers are, are growing. They're becoming adults. They are, in many ways, the very description of the foolish person in Proverbs, okay? Um, and, well, but and I mean, even teenagers, like, that's a new concept. When you turned 13, you were now a man. So you're like, basically, mm -hmm. the right. young man concept is like a man in training. Mm -hmm. Yes. Who needs wisdom yes. to know how to live out his life. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yes, then they do because they needed wisdom 3000 years ago. They still need it today. <laughs> oh, they <Okay>. sure do. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. is a part of the process of maturing and the adults, the parents or the employer or whatever it is, you know, especially in those days where you went to work, you need to impart wisdom to these uh, young men or young women that are under your care, okay? Now, 
the rod is not really the means of imparting that wisdom in Proverbs. The means of imparting that wisdom is speaking it and explaining it and encouraging it and and showing it. And that's still what we do today. Um, And and we can encourage wisdom in our younger children. I mean, no, the book of Proverbs isn't really written to them per se, but they still need to hear wisdom and start growing in wisdom that won't necessarily end the foolishness of the young year of the teenage years, um, but it helps uh, to have biblical wisdom in your mind as as you go through uh, those years. But so far as back to the question of like spanking young kids, there's just truly nothing in the Bible about that. Yeah, there's just it's not talked about. It's not. It's just not there. If you guys are on Instagram, the listeners, we yeah. have, it's much easier to find on Instagram than on Facebook. We are on Facebook as well at Flourishing Homes and Families on both platforms. But on Instagram, we have a highlight called the Rod Verses, and we have dug into every single verse in Proverbs. We've dug into Hebrews. We have looked into how ancient Israel viewed childhood. Just really, it's a really comprehensive look at relearning you know, some things that we were maybe miss you, you as well as we were misinformed about before. And if they're bought and they're like, I want a gentle parent. And like you said, there were secular options out there, but they're yeah. wanting to follow a biblical model. Y'all do that really yeah. well. And that you share a scenario instead of try this. And yes. I feel like that's really helpful, but let's give like an overview of what does gentle parenting look like for the Christ follower? Yeah. Okay. So I think one thing that sets Christian general parenting apart and different from more secular general parenting. Of course, the tools often do look the same, like the practical application of it looks the same. Um, but in, you know, from our perspective and our theology of parenting, when you look back at punishment and the cycle of punishment in the Old Testament, like it is glaringly obvious that it doesn't work. If punishments worked, if the reward, like, if you do this, I will bless you. If you don't, this is going to be the consequence. If that worked, there would be no need for Jesus. Like we would not have the cross. And so, yes, we can modify behavior with punishments, with harsh discipline, with gentle discipline, but it is literally only grace that transforms hearts. And so as Christian parents, we can make that mindset shift of like, my role as a parent is not simply to make sure that my you know, four-year-old doesn't hit my two-year-old when he takes the train away. Like my role is that over a long period of years and maybe two or two and a half decades, I am teaching my children that this is how you respond with grace to someone when they hurt you. This is how you hold your boundary and communicate your needs while still respecting the dignity and honor of of the person who has hurt you or crossed a boundary. This is how you collaboratively problem solve um, so that both of your needs are met in a way that works for both of you. This is how you restore and repair relationship. And we can do this because Christ has done that for us. And so with general Christian parenting, it really is um, understanding that like every discipline is really repurposed as discipleship to point them to Jesus which I think we have to grasp for ourselves. Like yes. everything you're saying, I'm, I grew up in the church. I professed faith mm-hmm. in kindergarten, but I don't think I grasped a lot of the words that you just said until maybe the last 10 years, possibly. Mm-hmm. 
And so I don't even think I had the tools to teach my child how to reconcile peacefully because I didn't have it. And that's where I'm so thankful y'all are guiding and you've worked through Mm -hmm. that for us who don't, it's it's not a go-to. The go-to in my mind is stop it. Yeah. Like, don't do that anymore. That's still the go-to in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) That behavior, I'm over it. Don't talk to your brother that way. Go upstairs. Like these go like easy pacifier, like reactions. Yeah. Come to mind first, especially I have some sensory stuff myself. Like I get really overloaded and reactive and not intentional. So that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What do you want to add, David? I would say one of the things that, and, and this is not new, this is not original to us. I'm pretty sure we got this from connected families and, and Jim and Lynn Jackson, but that whatever the situation that is going on with my child, my goal is to exemplify the fruit of the spirit in my interaction with them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just the, the basic idea is like Christian ethics, right? The walking out of what we believe in our daily lives and doing that in our relationship with our child. And what does it mean for me to show up as someone who is trying to be Christ-like? And in doing that, we're, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to help us with that, okay? But how can I show up in this relationship, in this moment, in a way that shows Christ to them? And that's hard. It is work, and it definitely takes a lot of, okay, that didn't work because, you know, (laughs) life comes at you fast, and the kids don't give you 10 minutes to think up a great answer. And so (laughs) there's a lot of- Is that true in the teenage years, too? (laughs) Oh, sister. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's a totally different game. It's a totally different game. Yeah. You have time. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's just different. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the dynamics of that fast pace. Yeah. I totally get that. And Mm -hmm. the small years and it's usually when you're late somewhere and you're tired and you're overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, you're in fight or flight and you're not even in your thinking brain. Yeah. Oh, sure. And, and, and so you're, you mess up, you, you mess up a lot. Yeah. And sometimes in massive ways. Yeah. And so having the ability to, and the desire to repair that relationship, okay, with your child to talk through the fact that I messed up and here's what, what happened and why it's not okay and why I wasn't okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the other part is like thinking through, well, what am I going to do different next time? Because chances are, this is not a unique occurrence in your child's life and it's going to happen again. And we have to decide, okay, but what do I want to do different next time? How do I want to do better next time? And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, I think we've talked about this example. Our, Our youngest son, he went through a phase where he, his response to me was, I hate you. I mean, it's time to brush your teeth. I hate you. It's time, you know, any, any it's laughable now, cause we're a couple of years removed from it. Yeah. But we, that's had, we really had the, we had the no uh, want to, no want yeah. to, no yeah. want to. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, and, and you're just I, like, you, you well, you're giving me nothing to work and, with here. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> and you're like, so, okay, what am I going to do? Yeah. Okay. How am I going to figure out how to respond to this? Because yeah, I can just, you know, tense up and not say anything and I'm not going to lash back or anything, but what am I actually going to do? And that, that's a big part of getting past the mindset of, I need this to stop, right? Because that's, it's really easy to figure out what needs to stop. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot harder to know what to do when it doesn't stop. Yes. And it's a lot harder <laughs> to figure out what you want to happen. What right? do you want instead? What's the replacement? Yes. Yeah. Option. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's easier to, to do. What do they say when you're instructing? Like, instead of saying, don't run, say walk or something, yeah. say yeah. what you want instead of what you don't want. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's hard because it, it is as our brains, how we're neurologically yeah. wired is to notice right. what's wrong and <laughs> what right. we want to stop. Okay, you've heard me talk about HelloFresh, but here's how I used it in a really cool way recently. I had a girls weekend planned to celebrate me turning in my manuscript. And before I left, I had three meals delivered from HelloFresh that I knew Bruce could put together for my boys. It would be healthy, be convenient. They'd have all the food that they needed ready to go. And I didn't have to have an extra grocery run before I left while I was trying to pack and get everything else situated. It was perfect. And the boys loved everything Bruce made. He had no issues cooking. Win, win, win. If you have never checked it out, I'll let you know that you can pick your favorite meals from 50 different weekly options. You go in there. You can skip weeks if you need to. You can change your delivery date. You can update your preferences. We have loved the family-friendly options, but they also have fit and wholesome recipes for nutritious meals you can feel good about with six recipes per week to choose from, low-calorie, carb-conscious, whatever you want. You can create what you need for your family's needs. Go check them out. I have a great deal for you. If you go to HelloFresh.com slash DMA16, that's one and six, one six, Use the code DMA16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. I'm telling y'all, free food. Go to HelloFresh.com slash DMA16. Use the code DMA16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. And you are going to find out why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. If you live on planet Earth, I'm guessing you've heard of Peloton. If not, let me introduce you because it's a great option to help you reach your health strength goals from home. And they have new things, new classes, new music, new ways to keep your workouts fun and motivating. A few of them, they've added boxing. They're stepping into the ring. No gloves needed. It's fast, it's furious, it's fun. And with their amazing Peloton instructors in your corner, even if you've never boxed before, these classes are gonna have you working up a sweat while working on the fundamentals of form and footwork and combos that will keep you on your toes. I got the Peloton app. I don't know if you know, you can try it out for free for a month. They have so many different options, strength, cardio, running outdoor, like if you love to work out outside, pull up the Peloton app, put in your little AirPods and one of their instructors is gonna guide you through an interval run. I found lots of different dance cardio classes I'm gonna check out. If you haven't seen what Peloton is up to, please go visit onepeloton.com to learn more. That's O-N-E-P-E-L 
O-T-O-N.com, onepeloton.com to learn more. But if we think of discipline as teaching, right? Yeah. We can't teach them until we know what we actually want them to do. Right. Another example of this is when, um, when our oldest went to kindergarten, he came home and he used uh, what is generally referred to as bad word, a bad word that he heard at school. And was I, it in fart? The, was it? No, fart? I'm but just it, kidding. It <laughs> One of my friends was like, no. her son was like, I learned the F word and she was totally shocked. And it was fart. Uh, <laughs> no, he learned the real F word. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> yeah, good time. Yeah, okay. So fun. You know? um, and I was like, Hey, where did you hear that? And he told me his, you know, when he heard it at school and I was like, okay. And I just let it go in the moment. Cause I did not want to have a strong reaction that made him want to say it again. Right. I wanted it to just be like, that was nothing. Don't think about that again. Um, which is by the way, a great parenting tool. If you don't know what to say, let it slide because when we get very reactive, their brain is like, Hey, I got a nice big reaction. Let's try that again. Mm -hmm. Um, it is okay to let it go in the moment until you know what to do in most cases, obviously safety and danger. That's an exception. Um, and so, you know, once I was like, I, I was like, okay, how do I want to respond to this? I, you know, we talked about how you, you said a word today that was, I want you to think of it as a tricky word. And the reason it's tricky is some people think it's a bad word and some people don't think it's a bad word. Some people don't ever want to hear it and other people use it and they don't care if everybody hears it. So there's words like this all the time. You're going to hear a lot of them and they're, they're tricky in, in our family, we trust in Jesus and he wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so with tricky words, a real way that we can love our neighbor as ourself is to not use them because you never know if you're around somebody who likes to use them or who is, who doesn't want to hear it. And he was like, oh, like he was tracking with me. He's like five and a half. He's tracking. He gets it. He he's heard love your neighbor as yourself. Like he has context for this. And I was like, here's the thing though. You're probably going to want to say something like that again, or it's, you're going to like hear a tricky word and be like, okay, well now I know to use that word, but it's really helpful if you come up with a different word to use instead of the tricky word. And you teach your brain when you want to say a tricky word to say this word instead. And he came up with like, oh, pickle or something like that. Okay. Like (laughs) completely very innocent five-year-old, you know, like, um, but we didn't teach him. Don't say that word. We taught him that's a tricky word. Here's why we don't use it based on on Jesus in Christ and loving others. And here's what you can do instead. Come up with another expletive, you know, that is appropriate and nobody's going to care if you say, oh, pickle, oh, my pickle or whatever it was he said. And we, and we taught him and then we let him practice it. Like, Hey, you want to practice saying, oh, my pickle. So that he literally never said the tricky word again, because we replaced it with the right thing or the appropriate acceptable thing to do. And we might've prayed about it, that he wouldn't like teach all the kindergartners. Oh, yeah. The kindergartners at church. Yeah. Those were the ones we were praying for. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm hearing that. I'm like, that's so genius. I never would have thought to do that. Do you feel like these concepts, how to implement gentle Christian parenting comes to you because of the Holy spirit or because you're just like mm-hmm. in it all the time, you're paying attention how do you encourage someone who's, this is maybe their first day, their day yeah. one, they were hearing this right now. And I know y'all started oh day gosh, one when your oldest one. was 15 months, yeah. but like, 
that transition I'm imagining maybe start small. We'll take a lazy, lazy genius principle, start small and find something that's like you said, a recurring issue that I hate you response and think, what would I like instead? So for me right now, it's my 10 and 12 year old are kind of not interacting as well as they had in the past, or I would like, so I would sit cue into that scenario and be like, okay, instead of reacting and responding every single time, what could I do instead? So right. do y'all want to problem solve that with me? Or do you want to give other advice? <laughs> this I is my selfish show. I this is my selfish show. So. <laughs> um, okay, but you so- see what I'm saying? Like yeah. help, help the gal or the guy. Cause she probably told her husband to listen to this show. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. So day one, I would say if you can pick your top three behaviors that you personally are most triggered by, Mm. because there's, there's work to do for yourself, but also if you're triggered and you're very reactive and you're automatically yelling or spanking or timeout or whatever, you have the opportunity to determine what you want to do instead. Like you can go to Google, go to our page you know, whatever you need to do, like there's tons and tons of resources out there now and Google will help you find them. Like, how should I respond when toddlers fight or whatever your trigger is and come up with a plan for yourself, but then start also looking for what do you want to teach your children to do different next time? So pick three things, just three. You don't have to like master it. You're not going to master it very quickly. Most of us won't. We started young very small kids. Like it, it really did take me about five years to get to the point where like almost always my response is gentle and it's intentional and it is guiding and teaching and, you know, pointing the arrow towards the target. And then every now and then I'll still have like a big, strong reaction and I just lose it. It, it, but it took like five years to get to that point. Okay. I used to be like angry all the time. Everything was an emergency to my brain and I was very reactive at the smallest things. And you have to teach your brain what to do instead. But then also keeping that in mind is that you have to teach your children what to do instead. Like you said, you don't just tell them don't run around the pool. You tell them use walking feet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll say it again, cause I'll probably say in the <laughs> intro and I'll say it in the outro. Grace is what I heard you say. Grace yeah. for yourself, yeah. grace for the process. You're reparenting yeah. yourself. Yeah. In each of those interactions, it might bring up a memory of how you were parented, the words that were spoken over you. And so grace, abundance, um, I'm a big fan of bringing those things to Jesus and healing them up so you can parent from a whole place. It's the gift of motherhood is those things come to the surface and it's a process. It is a process. It is a process. And, you know, and when you lean into that and like you let go of the need to like do this perfectly today because you heard about it and it sounds right. And it's landing on your ears and you're like, yes. And amen. Like when you let go of the need for tomorrow to be perfect and all you have to do is do a little bit better tomorrow than you did today. You can also take that towards your children and be like, you know what? Mistakes are a part of learning. Messing up is how we learn what to do different next time. And when you have that mindset for your children, it's easier to have that mindset for yourself. And when you have that mindset for yourself, it's easier to have that mindset for your children where it doesn't feel like an emergency when you mess up or when they mess up. 
and they let each other mess up. I feel like they're less mm-hmm. on each other when I'm in a season of like not catching and critiquing every mistake. Right. When I'm in those seasons, everybody's <laughs> biting each other's heads off. No one's allowed to do oh. anything wrong. You know what I mean? There's a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like no yeah. one mess up. And yes. I mentioned to y'all, there was the Washington post article that was talking about just the pressure of gentle parenting where a mom yeah. needs to get out the door, needs a child to get on shoes and is paralyzed with thinking, well, if I say this, this is going to cause this problem. If I say this, it's going to cause, and she's just like, put your shoes on, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so talk to that. Like, what would you say about that pressure? I mean, we kind of addressed it, but yeah, you've addressed it already significantly on Instagram too. <laughs> Um, man, you know, I think that it is human nature to put a lot of pressure on yourself, especially in our culture. Like we live in a culture of hustle and striving and perfectionism. So it is like, I'm not at all surprised by the article because I think that that is the default landing place for so many people in our culture. But as Christians, our default landing place is at the foot of the cross. And we are going to make mistakes. We are going to lose it. We are going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, look the wrong way, react instead of respond. We're going to, it is going to happen. It is part of being human and it is part of what leads us to the cross. And so when that happens with our children, that doesn't give us permission to just okay, well, since it's going to happen, let's let it happen all the time then because there's grace. I mean, I think Paul talks about that a lot. Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Let it never be, you know, like, no, that is not a biblical concept. But what is biblical is that when we fail, when we have a failing and we make a mistake, this is an up front, front row opportunity for our children to see what it looks like to come to the cross of Jesus and say, only you working with me in my heart can make this different next time. And yeah. this is, this is what it looks like to submit to the Holy spirit and for the work to be done in real time. And, you know, I think a lot of us who are parenting now, we maybe didn't have that modeled for us. Like maybe our parents were really great at apologizing and acknowledging that what they did was wrong, but then the actual hard, messy work of the spirit convicting us and leaning into that and doing the work of changing, maybe we are modeling that for our children and it will be easier for the next generation to model that for their children because they will have seen it modeled for them. And then one more thing I want to say about that is that guilt is not going to make you a better parent. Conviction by the Holy spirit will make you a better parent. Shame so on either. Sitting, shame. shame and guilt are not going to, to change mm-hmm. your parenting. They are going to weigh you down and they are going to cause pressure like the article said, and so, they're going to cause you to give up. I mean, the oh, idea yeah. that a mom sent me of my kids are better off without me is yeah. a lie straight from the enemy. And yeah. it's pride that says you think, you know, better God right. gave you those children. <laughs> yeah. Part of the process of your growing and their growing is to lean on him. And yeah, so that, yeah, we have to trust that process. Yeah. I know that David, you talked about the old Testament. I feel like in Christian circles, we parent as if we're old Testament believers. We don't parent as new Testament believers. So let's just kind of recap for the person listening. Cause I think we've said it over and over, but how does the new Testament 
change our parenting? Like, how does Jesus model for us this discipleship and discipline? So one of the things that Jesus changes is Jesus empowers children. You know, like in Matthew 18, when the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And he's like, you need to humble yourself like a child. That's who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so he, he changes how we view children in that he tells us that our welcoming of our children, our treating of our children as our neighbor and loving them as ourselves, those are all aspects of following him. Like if that's what he says, if we welcome a child in his name, we welcome him. And the opposite is if we don't welcome the child, then we're showing that we don't welcome him. And then he goes on to talk about just the tremendous value that, uh, that he places on children, even to the point um, in the next chapter when he's teaching and there's a bunch of kids coming and the disciples are shooing the kids away. Like he's got important things to do. Don't bother the teacher. And he gets angry. It's the only time the Bible says that Jesus gets angry with his own disciples. right? And that's in Mark, actually. Uh, it's in Mark yeah. where it explicitly says that he's angry with his own disciples. And he's angry because of how they're, they're treating those kids. And he's like, no, let them come to me. Let them, let them take up my time. Let them take up my space. They, they are just as important as, as these other people uh, that are here with me. And he takes the time to be with them and to touch them and to bless them and to pray for them. And so all of that, I mean, it, it should reshape the way we, we think about, uh, about our children and the value God places on our children. I mean, there's all kinds of other stuff. There's, you know, the story of the prodigal son and his father and how that father interacts with his extremely wayward son, okay, mm -hmm. and how he shows such grace towards uh, his child. And I think this is something we kind of maybe overlook sometimes in the story of the prodigal son is that the prodigal son starts to apologize and repent, and the father cuts him off and is he's already made the conscious choice to extend grace and forgiveness before his son even gets the apology out. Mm. Yeah. Ephesians 6, people love to go there. Children, obey your parents, okay, uh, in the Lord. And that's important. Like, and it goes on. And, and, and in fact, Paul then, he shifts his words, right? He starts out with children, obey your parents. And then he says, uh, honor your father and mother. He shifts from obedience to honor. And that's a big shift uh, in our mental framing in that, what do I really want from my kids? Do I want their immediate physical compliance with the command I just issued? Or do I want their honor? Do I want a relationship built on honor that lasts a lifetime? Because obedience is a temporary thing, right? Mm -hmm. The children obeying parents is a very temporary thing, but honoring and having a relationship of respect and honor, that's a lifelong kind of thing. 
And, and Paul tells us like, this is the first command with a promise. So, so inculcating that relationship of honor into our children. So it's not just a relationship they have with us. Okay. But that they are people who are both honorable and honoring to others and that they make their way through the world for the rest of their life that way. That's what we want to encourage and, and instill in our children. And that's a lot bigger project than just, I need you to put your shoes on right now. Okay. Yeah. And how we go about getting them to put their shoes on time after time, after time, year after year is going to either develop that relationship of honor or it's not. And that's the kind of big picture things that, that we want parents to think about. One of the things I often talk about is where do you want to be 20 years from now? What relationship do you want to have with your child when they come home from college, when they bring home their fiance, when they bring your grandchildren over? What kind of relationship do you want to have with them? And what are you doing today with your four-year-old to build that kind of relationship that you want to have many years later? Yeah. There is an author, he wrote one of my favorite books on anger, Good and Angry, cannot remember his name right now, but he wrote a lot of books on honor. And I remember the phrase to teach my boys, it's, it's doing above and beyond what's expected. So it's, it's not just obeying. It's like, I said, it's like if the president came over and you were giving them, serving them dinner, you know, mm -hmm. if I'm asking you, we don't set the table, but if I was asking you set the table, it'd be like maybe getting a fancy napkin ring, maybe going out and picking some flowers or something, not just doing what's expected with like a grumble, but like a yeah. above that. And I think that comes from when you really feel loved and seen and known, you want yeah. to treat that person and see them and love them and, and know what's special to them. So I do think that honor piece, if you've never heard that concept before and you're listening, you've only ever heard obey right away with a happy heart, all the way, the five things, and you mm -hmm. want another option. Lean into honor and teach your kids about that concept because that is very biblical and pretty fantastic when you do have that long-term. I'm so thankful for the current relationships I have with my kids because of exactly what you're saying. I mean, and we have, we had good relationships with our parents um, after leaving the home. And I think that that really does, it does matter so much. And I want to get into every specific aspect, like a child is like you said, bites his little brother. How do you respond? <laughs> this is why you need the Instagram account because you guys just go to their account, start following them. You are going to be so nurtured and discipled by them. And I really, I love connecting my listeners to resources and y'all are one that I've been wanting to have on for a while. So I so appreciate you being on here. You, we mentioned your Instagram. Say it one more time. Is there a website too that goes with it? Yeah. So we're okay. at Flourishing Homes and Families on Instagram. Uh, it's the same name, Flourishing Homes and Families is our public page on Facebook. And then our website is flourishinghomesandfamilies.com. Way to yeah. brand. Way to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being with me today. I really yeah. appreciate it. And Thank all so the parents. Thank us. you. Yeah. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks y'all for listening. I just want to say a prayer over families because I know this topic is hard and there's a lot of emotions that are going to come up 
Um, guilt is going to try to sneak in. Shame is most definitely going to sneak in. And maybe some wounding, some anger from how you were parented. And you're just needing to be tender with um, your own heart. And the place uh, just really it brings, it brings a lot to the surface. So I'm going to pray over us. Lord, I thank you for David and Amanda. I thank you for all of the different coaches out there who are helping guide parents to love your children, to bring them up in a way that honors you, that draws people together in relationships. I pray, Lord, against any spirit of guilt or shame. I pray for any anger to be expressed and for anyone who's really grieving how they were parented and wishing for different for themselves, that they could bring that to you, God, that you would heal those wounds, that you would remind them how you see them so that we can give ourselves grace before we offer that same grace to our children, to other parents. I pray for discernment and wisdom as we go throughout each day with our kids, that we would be curious about our own Um, responses to behavior, be curious about what we desire, and to really be led by you, God, to know what you long for in that moment, how you can lead our parenting interactions so we can honor you, trusting that even in our weaknesses and our failings and in our mistakes, that you are capable of redeeming all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, y'all, for joining me. I hope you do connect with me each Monday. Remember, I send out an email that lets you know the episode for that week, links, anything I'm enjoying, any thoughts I have, my favorite things, some recipes I love. You can sign up for those emails if you go to Ola Heather, H-O-L-A, Ola, like Heather, starts with an H, dot uh, com, OlaHeather.com. You can sign up to get those weekly emails and just stay stay in the loop with me. It's a great way to do that. All right, I'll meet you here next week. We just have a good word of encouragement for all of us. Just take a breath with my friend Kirsten Watson. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3:17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.